Welcome to Leading Grace, a listener-supported podcast from the Free Grace Alliance about working together to take the gospel of God's grace to the world. Hello, fellow Free Gracers. So glad you could join us. This is your host, Grant Holly, and I'm here with today's co-host, my dear friend, FGA President Jeremy Vance. Hey, good to be here. Yeah, thank you. The FGA International Conference is next week. If you're listening right now and you haven't registered, but you'd still like to come, it's not too late to register, but if you can't make it, we'll be streaming all the plenary sessions and some of the workshop sessions on the Free Grace Alliance YouTube channel and Facebook page. Just go to YouTube or Facebook and type Free Grace Alliance into the search bar. Well, on our uh, podcast today, I have the privilege of introducing our guest, Dr. Calvin Pearson. Uh, he and I go back a few years when I asked him in one of the uh, homiletics courses that I was taking to work on my doctorate uh, in ministry at Grace School of Theology, I asked him at the end of the class if he would coach me in preaching. And Calvin was gracious enough to say, I'll give it a shot. We'll, we'll do this. And it is just uh, the, the friendship has really grown. I'm very thankful that he's uh, here to join us to talk about preaching and the Free Grace Alliance and the Free Grace Movement. Calvin holds a doctorate in ministry from Gordon Theological Seminary. Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. He has a PhD from the University of Texas at Arlington in English Rhetoric. He teaches homiletics at Dallas Theological Seminary, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, Clamp Divinity School at Anderson University. And again, I met him at Grace School of Theology, which he also teaches homiletics there in their uh, master's program and their doctoral program. And it is just an honor to spend a little time talking to you, Calvin Pearson. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Grant. Uh, Grant and Jeremy, uh, you make me sound far more than I am. <laughs> uh, but thank you for that gracious introduction. Uh, let me just say here at the outset, uh, God in his sovereignty directed me to get all those degrees so that I would have a great deal of information to pass on to other people. Uh, but I got the information from somebody else. So it's not like Calvin came up with all these ideas. No, uh, I'm, just, I'm just passing on what's been given to me. So it is my pleasure to be used in the kingdom to, to do that today. So I pray that that's exactly what will happen. So thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for Grant for having me today. We're so glad you're here with us. How do you feel God has blessed you to impact up-and-coming preachers with his grace towards them? As I was just saying, I feel like God has given me a great deal of uh, information. He's also given me some amazing mentors, uh, from Haddon Robinson to Dwayne Litvin, Don Sanukian, uh, more some of the more uh, known names. Uh, well, speaking of names, uh, even Free Grace Alliance, uh, uh, Jim Anderson and I go way back uh, to, uh, uh, we taught at Dallas together years ago. Dave Anderson, excuse me, not Jim Anderson, excuse me. Uh, back, we, uh, we taught uh, at Dallas together a preaching class. He taught the Greek part, I taught the preaching part. So uh, even uh, Free Grace Alliance has affected me way back then. So uh, I, I guess what I'm saying, Grant, is I feel like God has poured certain things into me from other people, and I simply want to pour them into other folks. Uh, I, I'm almost like a conduit. Uh, just to pass it on to other folks. And, and it's my delight. I, I thoroughly enjoy that. Uh, and let me just say just briefly here, I never intended 
to pursue academics. I was going to be a pastor. That was my goal. That was my intent. Uh, and often, as, uh, as God often does, he had a different path for me. Uh, I never dreamed I'd be teaching preaching, uh, much less get a doctorate in ministry or a doctorate or a PhD. I, I never dreamed I'd do that. But that was God's plan, not my plan. So in light of that, okay, um, Lord, how do you want to use me? So I don't know if that answers the question or not, your answer. Yeah, it does. Thank you so much. Calvin, uh, you have impacted my life in my preaching, and I know that uh, God has used you to impact other young preachers, and I am grateful that you are uh, doing what you do and that you are in academia and uh, that our paths were able to cross. And I'm just wondering, um, what do you think it is? What, what trait or strength do you think is let's call it most important uh, for someone in order to be a dynamic preacher? Hands down, there is a very, very important trait that every good dynamic preacher, every good preacher, every dynamic preacher, if you want to have a spectrum there from good to dynamic, uh, has to have, and that's humility. And including that humility is a humility before God, an utter dependence upon God to work through him. Uh, and not only utter dependence for God to work through him, but a humility to learn, to say, hey, I could do this better. Uh, I didn't do that well. Uh, how can I change my preaching now? Uh, I hear some preachers say, well, I've developed my style. I'm finding my voice. You know, and sometimes I feel like that's just an excuse to not read preaching books to not go to preaching conferences, to not try to improve your preaching. It's kind of, I've found my way that I like to preach and I'm going to stick with it. And that's that. No, 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 no. We got to keep learning. We got to keep uh, saying, Father, how do you want me to change uh, and be eager to learn? So uh, I would say that the number one characteristic is, is humility. <laughs> and, and then they have the old problem of, uh, I know I'm humble. <laughs> And I'm proud of it. Yeah, you know, uh, you, you have to have that trait almost without knowing it. And, and you're, what I hear you saying is, uh, no matter if you're just starting out or if you've been a preacher for decades. Yeah, yeah, to be sure. To be sure. Just yesterday, I preached at a church. And as I was going over the, the sermon on Saturday, I was also preparing for uh, the same class that you had three years ago, uh, Jeremy. I'm, I'm starting that class tomorrow for, uh, for Grace School of Theology. And as I was reviewing my notes, uh, I came across the, the Second Timothy passage where it says that preaching is to reprove, correct, and encourage. I think I got the order wrong there. I think it's encourage, reprove, and correct. But anyway, it's those three. And as I was thinking about the conclusion, I went, you know what? I'm, I'm correcting, and I'm rebuking a little bit, but I'm not encouraging. And so I changed my conclusion to the sermon so that I affirmed people that were doing the things that I was preaching about. And, and I just sat there saying, Lord, thank you. Thank you for reminding me of that. Thank you for your word. Thank you for helping me grow in my preaching, uh, even though I've been doing it for, well, since I was 15 and I'm almost 70. So I guess that makes 55 years. So anyway, uh, I'm still learning. 
uh, and so thank you, Lord, for, for his grace that he showed me that. And I just went, cool, Lord, thank you. Uh, it was just a, a neat thing that happened just the last couple of days. Oh, what a blessing. Uh, so FGA is all about grace. Uh, pretty well known. That's, that's our thing. That's what we're trying to promote. That's what we're trying to do. And we have a lot of pastors who uh, are members of the Free Grace Alliance. I'm a pastor myself of a small church. And I know one of the biggest challenges people have is promoting and, I guess, encouraging a grace-centered community from the, the pulpit. Because obviously you can't, you can't make people be grace-centered, but how do you make that happen? How do you affect that change in a community? Mm. <laughs> you don't. The spirit does, <laughs> but obviously, what part of that do we do we play? I just finished spending a great deal of time working on the book of Jeremiah, how you preach it, and that is a very difficult book to preach because the message is somewhat repetitive. Uh, it's uh, it's a long book. It's uh, the structure is even complicated, and the new covenant, you know the covenant of God changing our hearts and his grace coming to us and all that kind of wonderful stuff is right in the middle of the book. But surrounding it are sermons or passage after passage of judgment and God's wrath and harsh, harsh stuff. I mean, uh, and that to me is the foundation for building a grace community is that we have to recognize that we are under God's judgment because of sin. But, <laughs> however, uh, in contrast, um, shifting everything, his grace gives us forgiveness. And if we realize how sinful we are, then his grace becomes all the more greater, and it changes how we look at other people. Hopefully, hopefully, if we will recognize our own sinful state, we'll understand that we're no better than anybody else. Uh, but without that, without that understanding of our sinful condition, uh, it would be very easy to say, well, I made the right choice. Uh, this is uh, God's grace given to me, and I'm just a little bit better. And no. Uh, so I, I guess, uh, Grant, my, and, and Jeremy, some of my feelings about building a grace community are. Uh, they're affected by recently spending so much time in the book of Jeremiah uh, and seeing that that is a wonderful book about God's grace. But you have to see the judgment so that you can appreciate the grace. In fact, if we weren't sinful uh, and if we weren't uh, opposed to God, God's grace would be would look very different. Uh, it, it would be supposition contrary to what's happened, so it's kind of futile to go down that road, but uh, I think it's important to recognize uh, we must not ignore man's sinful state and my propensity, my continual propensity to sin, but God's grace. Uh, uh, God's grace is wonderful, uh, and so he forgives us, and he redeems us, and he sanctifies us, and all by his grace. Uh, so it's both and it's not either or so that's part of how I think you build a community of grace uh, another way is to 
be sure that we show that in our demeanor as well as in our words. Uh, and, and to be sure that our nonverbal communication is also communicating that. And nonverbal communication is a tricky thing because you can't hide it. Uh, or it's very difficult to hide, I should say, rather. And so the, the key there is to be sure that you're walking closely with God, appreciating his grace, and then let that show. But it has to be come from the in, internal. It has to come from, uh, I am the recipient of God's grace. And so I simply want to give and extend uh, God's word to you so that you too can receive that grace. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'll pause right there, let you guys jump in. Yeah, no, you mentioned humility earlier and how important that is for the preacher. And I can, I can see how that is woven in with all the things you were saying there. And, yeah. Um, and I could see also how if someone, if a preacher were lacking humility, then um, they wouldn't be able to, to show that example. And uh, because they don't realize their own sinfulness. And if you don't realize your own sinfulness or if you pretend like you don't, you're not sinful then how can you really fully appreciate God's grace and share that with others? Yeah. Yeah. I have uh, um, the idea that um, two thoughts. One is ground is always level at the foot of the cross. You know, we're just, we're all sinners needing our savior. And the other thought I have is always remembering the privilege that we have to stand up in front of others and proclaim God's word and teach it when we really, we're not doing it because we deserve it. We're doing it because of his grace. You know, we're doing it because he allows us to do it. I think is, is all a part of that, that idea of nonverbal, nonverbal communication that I, I'm a recipient of God's grace. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I think another way that we can, uh, help our churches have a community of grace is to be sure that when we preach and if the text is very uh, directive uh, and you know, when you need to do this, need to do this, uh, you know, if we're preaching through James, boy, it's just full of, you got to do this, you got to do this kind of thing, or, or, you know, maybe the Proverbs that we always say, now folks, we can't do this by ourselves. We must depend on God's spirit and his grace to be working through us and, and not just give the directive, but, but remind people that it's by his grace. Uh, when I want to do some more study in this area, but I, I'm uh, Tim Keller talked about a subtext to sermons. And by that, he meant best. I understand it. Uh, what is it? that comes through when a preacher preaches, uh, not just his words, but those subtle things that people, people say. Uh, are they focusing attention upon themselves? Are they focusing attention upon what they know about the scriptures? Are they focusing attention upon, uh, upon Christ, upon grace? Uh, it, it, it would sound something like this when, when the pastor's introducing the sermon, uh, he could say something like, I want you to open with me to a passage of scripture that is just fascinating. And I want to share with you the, the meat of this passage. Well, there's nothing quote, wrong with saying that, 
but subtly that preacher might be focusing upon what he was able to discern exegetically from this passage. Or he could say, I want you to open your Bibles and let's see what God is going to tell us today. Let's see how he's going to show us his grace towards us. He is so wonderful. Let's see what he has to say to us. And, and it's, it, it's a subtle but a important subtext to a, a pastor. And I've been trying to listen to my own sermons somewhat to hear what my subtext is. Uh, am I truly wanting to preach God's word and his grace, or am I subtly wanting people to realize, hey, Calvin's a really good preacher. Uh, and I just go, oh, Lord, uh, spare me. <laughs> spare me from that. Uh, but I, I think that's another way to, to be sure that our subtext, you might say, is grace-oriented, God-oriented, spirit-oriented. I'm wondering if that is um, what the biggest challenge is for new preachers. Like, what would you say is the biggest challenge for new preachers? You teach in the seminaries and you're helping them to preach. What do you think is the today's biggest challenge for, for preachers? In contrast to, let's say, 50 years ago, our culture is not accustomed to listening with any kind of mercy <laughs> to people who are proclaiming truth. Several things have shifted. One is the whole concept of truth. Uh, of course, we live in a culture that thinks there is no absolute truth. Uh, you know, that's everyone knows that kind of thing. We're absolutely true of that. We're absolutely sure of that. But at any rate, uh, <laughs> the uh, but not just that. Just not the rejection of truth, but the rejection of the style of a uh, the style of a person standing up and speaking. Most people who hear someone stand up and speak outside of church, it's either a salesman or it's a politician, and neither of those are normally trusted. So I think it's a great challenge for young pastors to establish uh, that they are credible, that, that call it the, you know, Aristotle called it the ethos. Uh, we have a lot of negative ethos working against us today more so today than we did 50 years ago. And I think young preachers have to overcome that. Uh, the younger generation will say, we want people to be authentic. I'm not sure what authentic really means other than you need to be yourself, but uh, I'm not sure that's what we really want either. Uh, so it, it's hard for a young pastor to, uh, to proclaim God's message and it be received we've got to fight against the battle to have a big crowd. Uh, and, and boy, that, that's a fascinating thing there. I think it's going to be fascinating to see how the mega churches change. Oh, where I just read an article about a guy that pastors a big giant church in Atlanta. Oh, and he's got like a 7,000 seat auditorium, but he said, and, it, and it, he fills it twice on Sunday. But he said, it's not Andy Stanley, it's an African-American guy. I don't remember his name. Uh, it was in Preaching Magazine. At uh, any rate, he said that he thinks the future churches will be smaller. Uh, and I think there's some substance to that, because if the church is smaller, the people will know the pastor personally, 
Thus, his ethos will increase greatly. Uh, now, let me come back to the question and try to answer it very concretely. I think the best thing a young pastor can do is to spend time with his people, to get to know them. Uh, you know, Grant, I'm sure you and, and Jeremy, I, I know well, so I'm sure Jeremy's experienced this, and I'm assuming you have too, Grant, that after you spend time with people in various situations, particularly the crisis situations, when they come to church on Sunday, it almost doesn't matter what you say. They're going to listen to you because you were there when their father died. You were there when their son won the football game or whatever it might be, you know, the other end of the spectrum, both the, the, the joyful crisis and the, the grieving crisis. If you're there with them and you experience it with them, it changes how they listen to you. Yeah, so I nice. think it's very important for a young pastor to spend time with his people just for the ethos of it. But then also, if you spend time with your people, you better understand them and can preach better to them. So that has been my experience that, you know, just getting to know people and uh, letting them see your heart for, for them and for the Lord and see how the word has impacted you. Um, it just, it changes how they receive you on Sunday mornings. Calvin, how about those, uh, those preachers who have been preaching for decades, for a long time? What, what do you think is uh, their biggest challenges? Well, since I'm one of them, <laughs> Uh, I, I found this yesterday, uh, experienced it yesterday. The church I preached at has two very distinct services. One is quite traditional. I mean, we started with victory in Jesus, okay? Uh, a very traditional and uh, very Southern, Southern Baptist traditional in their first service. And it was mostly filled with folks that got the same colored hair that I do, gray hair. Uh, and I felt like I identified with them much more easily than the second service, which was much more contemporary. Now, I, I think it still went well in the second service, but I had to pedal a little bit because I know I'm older and I don't naturally identify with the same things that they're identifying with. I've got a different set of uh, value, not, not completely different set of values, but I, you know, I'm turning 70 this month. I'm thinking about the end. A 30-year-old is not thinking about the end. And so I think the challenge for, for me, for anyone that is past 55 or 60, to remember and to preach in such a way that a 30-year-old will go, yeah, you, you know where I'm at. We've got to be more intentional about that. I've got to be more intentional about that. And to remember, okay, what is it like? What was it like? And what is it like for a 30-year-old today? Excellent. So, Kevin, what are some common mistakes that you see uh, young preachers make, uh, especially ones that could easily be avoided? Let me, uh, I'm going to qualify my answer by saying this is kind of the things that, um, that bother me the most, you might say. Uh, the thing that, uh, that bothers me the most is when a young preacher will begin preaching a text and then he'll cross-reference to another passage and when they cross-reference to the other passage that other passage is a simpler more straightforward passage and what they do is they end up preaching that passage instead of the one he started with for example if they're preaching one of the more complicated 
passage in the Old Testament, maybe a narrative. Uh, they'll jump over to Ephesians, and they'll end up preaching Ephesians and not preaching Second Chronicles. Uh, and so I want to encourage young pastors, preach that text, because God gave us that text for a reason. Uh, now, can you cross-reference? Well, of course you can. Does that help you? Of course it does. But we got to be careful that you preach what that text says uh, and not jump over to other passages and preach what they say. Now, if you want to preach that other passage, go preach it. But say you're preaching Ephesians uh, rather than I'm preaching Second Chronicles and, well, we're really spending more time in Ephesians. So that, that would be one thing. That's something Another... that I did a lot, by the way, when I was first <laughs> starting out. Yeah? Yeah, it's a mistake that I, you know, I didn't even realize what I was doing. I just, uh, I'd kind of get carried away on a cross-reference uh, that, you know, kind of, for me, it, it, it was clearer, easier to do. And I just kind of got away from the text I was in. So I've, I've um, you know, I look young, I'm 40. I, I started preaching kind of early. So I've been, I've been teaching and preaching for about 15 years. And uh, early on, that was something I did a lot. I, I think almost all of us did because we were maybe looking for something to, to say that we were comfortable in saying. Uh, and we didn't have the experience of how do you interpret some of the more complicated passages in the Old Testament, particularly well, even some of the New Testament passages as well. But uh, we were less comfortable with those passages. So we went to a passage that was comfortable, uh, which makes sense. So I think a young pastor needs to resist that. Uh, and this seems so, the next thing, it, it seems so simple, uh, but it really is hard to do. Keep the subject in front of us. What is this passage talking about? And tie all those pieces to that one subject so that we can follow you. Uh, and resist the temptation to sound like a good preacher. Uh, we all have people that we admire and such like that. And I'm not talking about imitation, imitating them type of thing. But I think sometimes young preachers want to sound like they're a good preacher rather than working on clarity. Uh, to me, clarity is, is the, well, to be true to the text, of course, is most important. But in a sense, even more important is clarity, because if you're not clear, then nobody knows what you're saying. Amen. So how do they know if you're true to the text or not? Uh, so at least be clear. So I, I, I guess I would say, kind of uh, talking uh, to think here, uh, I would say young pastors need to work on clarity uh, and well, they need to work on illustrations and applications too, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I guess if you're clear, at least I'll know what you said uh, rather than, well, that was a really good illustration and it was fun to listen to, but I'm not real sure what you said. Uh, so I would say clarity is so important. Again, I'm, that's kind of talking to think here. I've noticed that people just kind of fill in what uh, what they already believe if you're not clear. Oh, well said, Grant. Well said. Uh, yeah, I thought of, well, I could write that down. I may use that in class. <laughs> <laughs> Good, Grant. Thank uh, you. you know, um, um, those who have been trained in 
like by Haddon Robinson or Don Sanukian or whatever. It's the main idea, the main the single sentence main idea. That's how you have clarity. Is that what you're referring to, or are you referring to something that's broader than that, Kelvin? Well, I I don't want to overstate uh, you know the uh, the importance of a main idea. I, I think sometimes we can be so uh, enamored with that, and the the young pastor gets up and says, "Well, my main idea is." Uh, or at the, at the end of the sermon, they'll say, now, let me be sure I get my main idea across here. And it's almost like they're giving a nod to their education. I know I'm supposed to have a main idea. Well, here it is. <laughs> well, that, that's not what we need to be doing. But what we need to be doing is tying everything that we say around some kind of clear subject or clear idea. Uh, I, I'm if I can't at the end of the sermon say, I know what you were talking about and I know what you said about it, uh, then where were you going? It was just, it was, it was cumbersome. So I, I guess, Jeremy, I, I am talking about having a, the, the Robinsonian or Sanukian, or you could go back to Aristotle with that thing if you want to. Uh, <laughs> it, it's having a clear subject and it's saying something about that subject. Uh, even it's as simple as the old Calvin Coolidge thing. Uh, what did the preacher talk about? Talked about sin. What did he say about it? He was against it. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> even it's something as simple as that. So, so you know. So I, I don't know. Uh, let me try to synthesize that a little bit. For clarity. Yes. <laughs> there you go, Grant. There you go. Uh, I'm restating it. It's important to have a central idea, but your central idea must not be the goal of your preaching. The goal of your preaching is to glorify God through a changed life. And a central idea is a tool to help you do that. And we've got to remember that, that a central idea is simply a tool uh, that works because that's how God made our brains. I mean, we want to know what the idea of something is. That's what's going on here. What, you know, we want to know that. Uh, and so it's a tool to use to proclaim God's word. It is not the end result. It is when I stand to preach, I'm not preaching a main idea. I'm preaching a text. And I'm using a main idea to get that text across. Uh, and, and that's a subtle but very important difference there. Uh, and it's, it's important that we articulate that difference. Otherwise, we feel like we're preaching our main idea. Well, we're stating it, but that's not the purpose of it. It's to get God's word across. Excellent. Love that. How do you think the Free Grace Alliance can be strengthened in the coming years? When pastors come together, they need to have something to do so that they can relate. And that's what that conference is, is good for because, you know, Jeremy, I think you and I have talked about this. Part of the joy of the, the conference is the, the fellowship. And I mean that in the fullest sense of that word. Uh, the interacting with each other, the, the seeing somewhat like uh, there's a, a guy that I'm going to be meeting at this, uh, uh, at this conference, uh, Kevin Butcher. He and I are, were friends up in Michigan 20 years ago. 
And uh, we had a, we were in a, a preaching group where we worked on sermons together. And uh, Kevin was a huge influence in my life. Well, I've lost contact with him. You know, he's been up in Michigan. I've been down here. Uh, and you know, he's going to be here. So I've contacted him. And we're going to get together. So uh, I suppose, again, kind of talking to think here, uh, to facilitate the relationships between pastors, both for uh, just the joy of being together and friendship, but also to set up maybe some some accountability things, uh, some uh, some groups that would work on sermons together, uh, for the purpose of building that unity of fellowship, that that interaction with each other, uh, building those relationships. I think that is what would make, in fact, now that I think about it, it strikes me that what makes an organization strong is the relationships within the organization. So if you build those, you can build a good organization. What you're doing, Grant, from what I perceive, is very, very important, and that's the nuts and bolts of it. Uh, if there's not someone that makes sure that that I's are dotted, the T's are crossed, and people's names are on the right list, and uh, people are recognized in the right way, and people understand when the meeting's going to be, and all those little seemingly insignificant details, if they're not taken care of, the organization doesn't work. And so, uh, Grant, thank you for doing that, uh, and other folks that are doing that, thank you. That's uh, I'm terrible at that. I'm not good at that. Uh, and I know that. Uh, and so, but I see its importance. So, uh, and, and guys that are pastor, you know that, <laughs> you know, that in your church, if you don't have some of those details taken care of, it's just not going to work. Uh, so I would say the same thing applies to free grace Alliance. Yeah. Thank you. It's, um, it's really my joy to be involved with the free grace Alliance. I, um, I love what you mentioned about the fellowship and those sort of things and how important it is. And that really is the main point of the Free Grace Alliance. Uh, we're uh, a free grace organization, sure, but we're also an alliance. And uh, I've noticed just over the years how many free grace people just feel like they're kind of on an island by themselves out there. And that's what Free Grace Alliance is for. We can come in and grab people and say, Hey, you know, there's, uh, there's these other people who have the same passions and, and uh, beliefs that you do. And, uh, they need your fellowship just as much as you need theirs. And so let's, let's come be together and let's do things together and let's uh, encourage each other as we go forward. So it's been uh, such a pleasure having you with us, uh, Calvin. Um, I'm so thankful for your time and your answers. I, I learned a lot and thank you, Jeremy, for co-hosting with me. I want to mention to our listeners that uh, if you're in the Pacific Northwest, on November 6th, we'll be having a regional conference called Growing with Grace, and it's going to be in your area at Lacey Bible Church in Lacey, Washington. I'll be there teaching along with Ed Underwood from Recentered Group, and he's also on the executive council for the Free Grace Alliance. Also, Mike Handler from Moana will be there. We hope you enjoyed the podcast, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. 
If you would like to become a member of the Free Grace Alliance or to support FGA in its efforts to share grace graciously, you can do that and learn more about FGA at freegracealliance.com.